KPFP in Berkeley, 88.1 KFCF in Fresno, online at kpfa.org. The time is now 3 p.m. Stay tuned for Cover to Cover, Stone's Throw with Jennifer Stone. Happy ending, nice and tidy, it's a rule I learned in school, get your money every Friday, happy endings are the rule, so divide up in darkness from the ones who walk in light light them up boys there's your picture drop the shadows out of sight this is Jennifer Stone with Stone's Throw. Gertrude Stein says an Irish lady can say that today is every day. Yes, today is March 17th, St. <laughs> Patrick's Day. Mm, whenever I hear that Celtic music coming, I tend to look around and see if my father's coming in with a drink in one hand and, well, never mind what's in the other. <laughs> Mayhem is what he brings. Anyway, he's a long time gone. Oh, my dead dears. So, I shouldn't be crabby. I should be nostalgic. Uh, yes, green, green. I just, uh, I just feel a kind of Response coming back, um, alcohol is not my idea of joy, certainly not a way to celebrate, but uh, what the hell, uh, not for me to say, anyway, I do have a bone to pick with old St. Patrick, <laughs> yes, he brought Christianity to the island of Ire, right, uh, Get rid of those awful pagans and the snakes and all. Uh, hmm. I have a friend. Well, I had a friend years and years ago. Uh, back in the day named Sally Sleepwell. Uh, now, my Irish pal, the poet Sally, Sally Sleepwell, used to come by for a sip of whiskey on St. Patrick's Day. Sally doesn't know whether to be a poet or a realist. Of course, in Ireland, they're the same thing. But here in America, there's a schism. Now, sleep well is only half Irish and the worst half at that. Her dad's from County Kerry. Now, she's afraid she may be only half a poet and half a realist and the worst half of both. Hmm. I console her by telling her that she's more an artist than an American. <laughs> she can drink to the old country with a whole heart. Now, uh, Sal's, what is it? Sal's uh, not sure about the Isle of 
Ire, I-R-E, Ire. Yeah, that's it. The land of wrath, she says, the land where the ancient Celts westered to a halt. On there they were staring out across the slate Atlantic well. Hmm. I asked her, what do you suppose they were running from? Who drove the Celts? Who drove them to cross the seas? Well, Sally says that it was this or that Indo-European group of neo-barbarians, but I think it was the goddess. They were fleeing from the old religion, the great mother, you remember, the great queen, the Morgan, Sally. I had another sip of whiskey and... She used to hold forth hmm, that uh, fifth century saint, I think he was, that patriarch, Patrick. He's the one that drove the snakes from the garden one more time. Sure, I muttered, and across the sea to New York. Sally ignored me. She used to proclaim that... Patrick's the one that drove out the serpent of knowledge, the wisdom of woman and her knowledge of life and death in the ancient world. Uh, she pulls out, <laughs> she pulls out her, uh, her sacred book, actually. Uh, it's, it's the Bible, but don't tell anyone in Revelations 12, 14. She reads to me. And to the woman were given two wings of a great eagle that she might fly into the wilderness into her place where she is nourished for a time and times and half a time from the face of the serpent. Now, in Revelations, it doesn't say whether that's a good thing or not, but <laughs> I just love the, I just love to hear it roll off the tongue, yes. Uh, hmm. In, in that time, that is the time before Patrick, the pagan days, the ancient world, you see, there were no illegitimate babies or no no fallen women. I think they called that the Breton Laws. It was a pre-Christian world of kith and kin. Whole families married each other. Well, I had to explain to Sally that there was a very low fertility rate, so it made a lot of sense. <laughs> She snorted at me and she said, in a communal, sacred world, any kid is legitimate and so is her mom, right? Nothing but mothers and sons on earth, well, let's say, nothing but women and, uh, and sons. 
Ah, I heard that at a little a little meeting we had here at KPFA, and it stuck, just stuck in my brain anyway. I used to fill Sally's glass, and then I, I'd sit down and just listen to her, you know. Uh, the Irish hear everything, but they wouldn't be caught dead listening. Uh, I listen, Sally speaks. I asked her then why the Irish admire St. Patrick if he was such a male chauvinist prig. Well, that's just why, she shouted. Patrick didn't go for the old magic. He was into rational order. Today we've still got rational order, and it's full of euphemism. It's based on greed. Here in America, the greed that glitters gluts our lives. Sally is fond of excessive alliteration. <laughs> yes. Of course, the Irish are, and always have been, very poor. That's one of the reasons they never did get any... Uh, well, they didn't get rational. Uh, they did get some money once or twice, you know, ups and downs. But in the main, it's been a poor country. Uh, they went right on worshipping women all through the centuries. And <laughs> I'm not sure. I'm not sure exactly what that was all about. Uh, they didn't even burn witches. I looked it up and I only found two during all those centuries when Europe roasted nine million. I figured that since many of the witches and warlocks, you know, were burned or roasted because people wanted their money, their land, their property, maybe that's why the Irish <laughs> didn't burn so many women. Uh, besides, you know, Irish women, they didn't take any nonsense. Uh, of course, they didn't have any social or political power. They weren't interested in that, you know. The great goddess, the ancient goddess, uh, well, she became the Virgin Mary, the Madonna, you know. But, you see, not even Jesus gave her any power. He didn't even hang out with her. He stuck with the fellas. At least, that's the way... They told it, I think, after the third or fourth century, you know. Not in the beginning, not in the period we call the, what is it? I think they were called the Coptic Christians. Uh, hmm. Nowadays, we know that there were probably a few apostles who were girls. I looked it up the other day, and I've forgotten it. Uh, there's a... Uh, Note, I think I found it in my school teacher notes. The women in Ireland didn't get the vote till ah, sometime in the late 60s. I remember going to school and telling the school children there, uh, most of whom were uh, children of color. And I said, you see, uh, here in our country, uh, black men got the vote back after the Civil War. And I said, black women didn't get the vote till I think we're talking 1919. <laughs> anyway, Sally 
uh, finally reaches the bottom of the bottle, she waves aside the ice that I offer her. She weeps. Uh, Women are such fools, she says. Sally's a regular Deirdre of the sorrows when she's in her cups. This time of the year, she's always grousing. She says, that pagan priestess, she became a whore in her own temple. She gave away her mother right, profaned the rights of life. There she was, the creatrix and the matrix. She gave birth to man, looked at her creation and found him fair. She fell in love with her own creation, gave him the keys to the car, and that, as they say, was that. (laughs) He became the measure of all things, and she became his Madonna, or his whore. (laughs) Now, I think Sally's got that last part right. Just recently, I had a talk with two young Irishmen, They'd only been here in the U.S. a couple of weeks, and one of them told me that there were two sorts of American women, the mothers and the feminists. (laughs) Then one of them asked me, please, not to use coarse language around his wife. They were. Both darling boys, darling boys, so charming, who can resist? Sally stared into the bottom of her glass, and she began to blubber. She always talks about the old days and goes on and on, about all that loss of mystery and how the women who let go of myth and nature for civilization and reason, how they joined the the male stream. She cries out, they let slip the sacred for the profane, all because they were in love with those socksuckers. I do try to get Sally to eat something when she gets, when she gets like that, her hangovers are no joke. She asks for another drink to toast eternal returns, yes. Ah, circles her imagination, proliferates in a Celtic twilight. Well, here's to the resurrection of sacred souls, she cries. To that day when spiritual and sexual prowess will once again be the same. To the sacred time coming when we no longer hang upon the modern cross of mind-body despair. (laughs) I love the way Sally likes to, uh, well, compare the, uh, the light between the eyes with the fire between the thighs. She's quite a poet when it comes to, uh, The sex and the spirit. Uh, but at this stage, she becomes impossible to follow. She lets go of linear thought entirely. That's the thought that leads to death. 
she spun off into the mouth of the gods, drunk with Celtic schemes of cyclical rebirth and regeneration, the transmigration of truth. She cries out, the world is round, round. We are all part of the circle. We are in that cauldron forever is now. And these, these fellas, they just want to get off the earth and fly out into heaven, right? To go to their father who art. <laughs> anyway. She lies down again. She lies down, actually, for the third time. Every St. Patrick's Day, we go through this. And she cries out for what she calls uh, the mother of us all. Myself, I'm not sure I like to watch a woman get so sloshed. I mean, even when it's herself is doing it, it is altogether too masculine, if you ask me. <laughs> Listening to the dear doctor on the last show, if you heard him talking about space travel, <laughs> I do think of it as primate grandiosity. I think he's right. Robots are the best idea. Uh, certainly more economical. Uh, I think that the notion of sending flesh and blood up to Mars is just primate grandiosity. Uh, just trying to get off this planet. Some of these guys just got to get out of here. Got to escape Mother Earth. And they haven't even gone down to the bottom of the seas. Apparently, uh, the exploration of the great seas, even of the smaller ones, yes, the little bits and pieces uh we haven't even begun to scratch the surface of that sort of thing. Uh, I wanted to read you a funny, uh, uh, a funny piece about the old religion. I don't think I have time, but I just wanted to prove to you that the old religion is making a comeback. Uh, now, most of it is just the fashion. Uh, you remember Marion Zimmer Bradley and the Myths of Avalon. That was my favorite. When that came along, I thought, this will, this will get to the kids. Uh, women, I said to myself, will be in the saddle again and ride mankind. The war on women will end, you know. The whole thing's going to end when Hillary Rodham Clinton becomes president of the United States. Yes. Yes. I thought, be like Queen Elizabeth the first. No, 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 no. I had to I had to watch Hillary. Uh she was on the TV and I wanted to see her taking it like a man again. Once more, it seems. Those emails. Have you heard about the emails? That's the issue this time. Uh, I remember her going in that wonderful what was it, it was a black outfit when they Senators dragged her out there the first time, oh, many years ago during Clinton's administration. Anyway, deja vu all over again, boys and girls. Uh, now, I, if I were in charge, I would insist that those emails, all of them, there are thousands and thousands, they should be read aloud around the clock 24-7 on a loudspeaker. 
in the chambers of Congress, in the Oval Office, you know, no respite. <laughs> yes. And then there should be a uh, pop quiz. Uh, the congressional inquisitors should have to pass a test on content. Want them to remember all the details. Yes, the devil is in the details. And maybe, maybe Hillary was receiving subversive messages in code. You know, from maybe from her old girlfriends. Never mind. It's just more rehearsal for her coming role as the first woman president of the United States. Ah, God knows. Goddess knows. She's had enough practice. Let's see. Since back in 1992, she's been learning how to duck and cover. <laughs> Keep your head down, girl. No, no. It was even before 1992. Uh, I saw an old documentary some years ago. It was a film called Feed, F-E-E-D. Uh, there's outtakes from videos taken during the uh, political uh, the political campaigns of the time. I remember Jerry Brown asking a, a room full of students, uh, did they remember, remember Marshall McLuhan? And, of course, they didn't. <laughs> he just looked at them again and said, McLuhan, you know, hmm? Medium is the message, and they all just looked blank. Anyway, one of the journalists uh, asked Hillary, uh, well, it, it was at the time when Bill Clinton was just beginning to, uh, what is it, run for the presidency uh, hard, you know. Now, this journalist stopped Hillary backstage. It was some hectic political event, and he asked her if... She was uh, going to stay in the marriage, you know, uh, if Bill's womanizing came to light. She was very rushed and kind of hectic, and she shrugged, and she said, Oh, well, there's always something, you know. You can't be married for ten minutes before you have to put up with something. She really said that. Uh, she didn't have time to put on her mask, uh, Oh, those were the days. Uh, she wore a headband and even glasses. She had eyeglasses, remember? Uh, she carelessly said that, uh, well, you remember that stuff she said about not being the kind of wife who stayed home and baked cookies. Oops. Phyllis Schlafly came up with the backlash. I think she did a bake sale, if I remember correctly. She said something about bringing bread for the breadwinners. Anyway, Hillary's had lots of makeovers. I'm sure she can do it again. You remember back when she was uh, the governor's wife in Arkansas? Yes, she changed some of her uh, affect. Even Margaret Thatcher, you know, did some makeovers. Surely Hillary has walked the walk, talked the talk uh, uh, once or twice. She did seem to feel the price was too high. She used to say she practiced the religion of gratitude. She was grateful that the White House was full of fresh flowers every day. But uh, finally she became a senator in New York and then a secretary of state. She has become a world leader and some say the most respected woman on the globe. I don't know about that, but...
Ah, uh, somebody said whatever doesn't kill you makes you stronger. And if you're a really tough cookie, you will hang on to your sense of humor. Yes. I hope to live to see a woman in the White House, you know, just for the symbolism. Because, well, actually, think about it. We all know that a uh, woman can do anything. She can solve all the problems. Look at the record. Uh, Indira Gandhi, Golda Meir, Benazir Bhutto, Queen Elizabeth I. Hmm. All winners, right, aha, uh -huh. just like the boys, frankly. I care most about the least of us, about those women who struggle to survive, the ones we never hear about, but uh, we feel their presence. Those are the working women. There is no other kind. They just want a new deal. Uh I found Sojourner Truth this morning. I don't know why. Uh, I felt that we should take one little quick look. Here it is. It's at the end of a speech. Um, I have a note here. It says, what do women want? And Sojourner Truth says, what we want is a little money. You men know that you get as much again as women when you write or for whatever you do. <laughs> Anyway, she goes on to say that, well, let's face it, she compares husbands, males to slaveholders. Now, I'm not sure. She says, I've been in Washington about three years seeing about those, these colored people. She says, now, colored men have the right to vote. And what I want is to have colored women have the right to vote. There ought to be equal rights now more than ever since colored people have got their freedom. And, yes, I'm going to talk several times while I'm here, so now I will do a little singing. I have not heard any singing since I came here. She's right, yes. The spirit will descend in song, descend in song. I have time, just time, to read you one tiny little, one, it isn't even a, it, I think it's one sentence, no, two, two paragraphs. Uh, uh, the ERA, the Equal Rights Amendment, still has not passed, as Patricia Arquette reminded us at the Oscars the other day. And I just uh, wanted to tell you that uh, a number of us, a number of women especially, do not know that. They think that, you know, they think that we have equal rights. Uh, but the amendment hasn't passed. Uh, here is what it would be if we could get it in the Constitution. Equality of rights under the law shall not be denied or abridged by the United States or by any state on account of sex. One sentence. Well, actually, the second part is the Congress shall have power to enforce by appropriate legislation the provisions of this Article, this amendment shall take effect two years after the date of ratification. Uh, now, the first time this was introduced into Congress, 1923, Alice Paul and Crystal Eastman, 1923. 1972, ratified by both houses of Congress. Then it started going around to the states. You know, you got to have two-thirds of the states. Uh, 
<laughs> anyway, uh, I think, yes, we got, I got a long list of the dates here. In 1982, we did get joint ratification of both houses, but still, it bogged down. And uh, let's see, we got 36 states. No, um, some of them, some of them took it back. Right, they took it back. <laughs> anyway, it still hasn't passed, folks. Right, your Congress, Congresswoman, tell her that the Equal Rights Amendment might give us a, a little edge, boys and girls. I'll be back on the air next week at the same time. This has been Jennifer Stone. Till then, go easy. And if you can't go easy, go as easy as you can. Here's another community-powered announcement from KPFA. Celebrating the 10th anniversary of the Bay Area Flamenco Festival, Festival Flamenco Gitano. Top dancers and musicians direct from Spain's Gypsy Flamenco community will perform at venues in San Francisco and Santa Cruz, March 22nd through 29th. We invite you to join us for the 10th anniversary gala performance at San Francisco's Palace of Fine Arts Theater on Sunday, March 22nd at 7 p.m. For tickets and full festival schedule, go to bayareaflamencofestival.org or call Brown Paper Tickets at 1-800-838-3006. Tickets are going fast. For information on shows and workshops, go to www.bayareaflamencofestival.org or call 1-800-838-3006. This is a benefit for Bay Area Flamenco Festival's 10th anniversary and is sponsored by KPFA.